Well, thank you to Dave and the choir for uh, that great piece. On October 2nd, 2006, Robert Charles, a 32-year-old milk truck driver, walked into a single-room Amish schoolhouse in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and over the course of the next 30 minutes, he tied up uh, a number of young 10- and 12-year-old girls and then proceeded to shoot 10 of them. Three of them died instantly. Two of them died the next day. Five others were critically injured. The nation was uh, predictably, justifiably horrified that this would happen and shocked that it would happen of all places in an Amish community. Their shock continued over the course of the news cycle as the story began to be reported with a twist because, much to everyone's surprise, virtually immediately the Amish forgave Robert Charles and began to minister to his family. Indeed, on the very day that uh, the shooting took place, the grandfather of one of the young girls who was killed said, We must not think evil of this man. No one here wants to do anything except forgive. In the reports that I read, uh, that's what you saw. There was one Amish man who went to the home, to the the parents of Robert Charles, and simply held uh, Robert Charles's father for, for 30 to 60 minutes as he just sobbed uncontrollably. There were 30 members of the Amish community that went to the Robert Charles's funeral. They also opened up uh, the funeral for the girls to Charles's widow. He had killed himself at the end. And no one else really was allowed into the private funerals for these girls, but they did open it up to her to come and to be part of that process. It was uh, shocking, as I said. Most of the reports in the popular media were were quite filled with praise and admiration for the Amish. Not all of them. Some people look on forgiveness as being an act of weakness, and even traitorous uh, to those who were victims. But most were, were quite filled with, with praise and admiration for the way they handled it. The Amish, for their part, simply said, we are seeking to apply Christ's teaching and example about forgiveness. The Lord's Prayer is, in essence, uh, six requests that we make to God. The fifth, which we began last Sunday and continue today, is focused on forgiveness. It is a request that God forgive us as we extend forgiveness to each other. And it is to that second part that we turn our attention today. Last week was forgive us our debts. This week it is as we forgive our debtors. And I almost feel as though this sermon needs to come with some sort of warning because the Christian understanding of forgiveness is jarringly counterintuitive and countercultural. It always has been. The traditional understanding of how you should respond when you were wronged in Judaism was to seek 
uh, revenge. It was, it was sort of ascribed and affirmed, provided you adhered to the, to the, to the teachings about equivalence. So your response needed to roughly be equal to the wrong that you had suffered. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. When Christ introduces the idea of forgiving someone, it was shocking 2,000 years ago. It remains shocking today, but it is exactly what we are called to, to forgive one another. Now, last week I suggested that this fifth petition actually has four parts. The first is forgive us our debts. The second is this word as. The third is we forgive our debtors. And the fourth is the addendum that we find, the, the extrapolation that we get from Christ at the end of the Lord's Prayer in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 6. Last week I then went on to say when we pray the first part of this prayer, which is what we were focused on then, forgive us our debts, we are acknowledging that we are guilty, we are recognizing God's willingness and ability to forgive us, and the expectation and requirement that we will humble ourselves and ask to be forgiven. I then went on and gave a a brief sort of basic uh, explanation of what forgiveness is. And I said it is giving up your right to get even. I then said that you need to ask to be forgiven. That we need to confess our sins to God in one major time when we actually acknowledge Christ as Savior, that we need a Savior and come to Him. But then in an ongoing cadence of life, we need to continually ask God to forgive us. Not in the judicial sense in which we're saved, but in the ongoing relational sense to keep those lines Of communication open. I want to step back ever so briefly today and begin with our definition of forgiveness and expand it just a bit. It is giving up our right to seek revenge. I'd like to be clear about what it's not. Forgiveness is not the same thing as acting as though uh, when someone has wronged you that they didn't do it or it didn't hurt. If I shared some information and confidence with you and you violate that confidence, uh, forgiving you does not suggest in some way that you didn't harm me or suggesting that it really didn't matter. Additionally, forgiveness is uh, not to be confused with suggesting that you couldn't help it. Because of who you are and your background, I should just excuse that in some way, entering into some kind of ongoing, dysfunctional, codependent relationship with you. Additionally, forgiveness is not to be confused with the compliance that we find with those who don't have any other options. Sometimes people who have no options simply go along and it looks like they have forgiven someone but if they had the ability to seek revenge they would but they don't forgiveness is essentially never the response of a weak person it is always the response of a strong person and finally forgiveness is not to be confused with forgetting there are some things that you will never be able to forget The Amish are never going to forget that Robert Charles broke into their world and shot 
10 of their precious young girls. It will not happen. And I would go further and suggest that if you are thinking in your own mind uh, about the times that you have been wronged and forgotten about it, you're misunderstanding what we are looking at here. Because if you can forget something, right? And, and there's a thousand slights that go on in the course of a week, right? I mean, we, we are always hopefully saying, I'm sorry, excuse me, you know, we're, there's a, there's just, it's just life that we're constantly asking for forgiveness over little things. But you don't go to the emergency room if you got a paper cut and you need a Band-Aid. We, we're, we're not talking about paper cuts here. We're talking about forgiving things that most people would say are unforgivable. I mean, I deliberately have chosen an illustration of something that is unthinkable. A man who has not been wronged by these ten girls going in and shooting them. That is an unthinkable thing that has been done. Forgiveness is not the same thing as forgetting. Forgiveness is giving up our right to get even. It is canceling the debt much like what Christ did for us. Frederick Buechner, writing in a book called Wishful Thinking, describes it this way, to forgive somebody is to say, one way or the other, you have done something unspeakable, and by all rights I should call it quits between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although I make no guarantees that I will be able to forget what you've done, and though we may both carry the scars of this for our life, I refuse to let it stand between us. I still want you to be my friend. In today's text, which assumes that we have offended God and which assumes that other people have offended us, what we see in a shocking and really horrifying way is that God ties his willingness to forgive us, to our willingness to forgive others. Augustine called this the terrible petition and suggested that we are asking God to forgive us to the extent that we forgive the person that we forgive the least. Daryl Johnson, who is the author of a book called 57 Words That Changed the World, from which I quite obviously got the title for this series, said that Christ's comments here are arresting and they are surely the most disturbing words he said is recorded in the entire New Testament. Charles Spurgeon said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. This is a shocking petition and it raises many questions. And I would like to try and answer some of those questions today, starting with this one. How can we be expected to forgive people who have wronged us? How could that possibly be right? How could that be fair? How could that be just? If we're not talking about little things, Mike, if you're serious, we're talking about big offenses to us, how possibly are we to be expected to forgive others? How is this a good Well, for starters, I think God expects us to forgive, instructs us to forgive each other, because he knows that it is in our best interest to do so. It is in our best spiritual, 
emotional, physical health to let go of the wrongs that have been done against us. Last week, I mentioned this book by Simone Wiesenthal, uh, a Jewish Holocaust survivor called Sunflower, in which he reports that this German soldier asked him to forgive him for all the wrongs he had done against the Jews, and Wiesenthal chose not to. And then many people weighed in on whether or not what Wiesenthal did was the right thing or not. And I said many people said that Wiesenthal did uh, the wrong thing in not forgiving him, but it wasn't so that the German soldier could die in peace. He did the wrong thing because he should have forgiven them so that he personally, Wiesenthal, could get on with his life. And went on to explain that, that it takes a whole lot of emotional energy to not forgive someone. Holding a grudge is like having a second job. I mean, we, we have to invest a lot of, of who we are and our uh, abilities to go do other things in order to keep this alive. And it depletes us. Lewis Smead said, When you forgive someone, you come to the understanding that you have set a prisoner free, and the prisoner is yourself. So, I think the first reason that, that uh, we are to be expected to forgive people is for our own well-being. The second reason we're to be expected to forgive people is because God says that vengeance is His. In uh, Romans chapter 12, quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, we read that vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Right? We would all be better off if we simply allowed the all-knowing one to sort these things out, to right wrongs in this life or the next one, in order to make things fair. So, God claims that vengeance is his. A third reason that we should forgive others is because this is not simply the teaching of Christ, as we find here. This is the teaching of Christ. The Lord's Prayer is what he taught the disciples to pray, it's how we're to pray, it's how we're to live. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, transgress us, wrong us, sin against us. Forgive us just as we are forgiving others. That's the teaching of Christ. But it's not simply the teaching of Christ, it's also the example of Christ. While he was on the cross, having been beaten and whipped and mocked, and spit on, Christ says to his Father, forgive them, right? They know not what they're doing. Many people fail to understand that Jesus is not just our Savior dying in our place, and he's not simply our teacher. He is the example of a perfect life. He is the perfect person. Now, we cannot follow him in every single way. We cannot die for the sins of the world. There are some things that Christ as Savior, Son of God, could do that we can't. But we can follow Him in many ways we choose not to. And we see Christ forgiving. A fourth reason that you are to be expected to forgive is because this is the best alternative that you have. We live in a fallen world. You offend people, other people hurt and offend you. And when that happens, and if it hasn't happened, 
you know, it's, it, it, it certainly will. Some of you are going to be horrifically harmed by other people, perhaps uh, intentionally. And, and when that happens, I, I am suggesting that you are to forgive them because really it's the best option you have. You only have a few. One is revenge, which is generally the, the, the attitude of our heart. Right? This is what we want. We want to get even. They hurt us. We want to hurt them back. It has great emotional appeal. And this is sort of the default approach of many. I quoted Bobby Kennedy. I don't get mad, right? I just choose to get even. There's lots of quotes like that. But the problem is we almost never get even. Right? Not everyone is going to agree when we're even. Most people would say, no, now you've wronged me more than I've wronged you. And we enter into a little death spiral with the person who have offended us. And we just simply proceed to destroy our own and their lives doing this in tandem. As Gandhi said, if you want to choose to live by the dictum, an eye for an eye, choose to live in a community of the blind. Revenge doesn't work. Well, another option that we have is to quietly seethe, right? To just be mad, to just sort of stew in our own juices. A third option that we have is to try and deny that it hurt. Many people simply sort of in some pathological way enter into a process of self-deception and they simply stuff it. Right? They don't face it. They don't want to recognize the pain. They don't want to deal with it, process it. They don't want to grieve. They just simply want to bury it. And, you know, as we know, eventually you can't keep those things buried. A fourth possibility is to end the relationship in any way possible and simply to just try and avoid the person forever. God's way is to forgive. God created us to be in relationship with him and with each other, to live in harmony with him and with each other. Sin disrupts that. It it creates alienation and estrangement. And, And what God says and what God models is the way forward is to forgive. This is God's plan. I'm reading out of Colossians, the third chapter. Paul writes, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. The fourth reason you should forgive is because it's the best option you've got. The fifth reason you should forgive is because you have been forgiven so profoundly. I'd like to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. This is uh, called the parable of the unmerciful servant, Matthew chapter 18. Peter goes to Christ and says, how many times am I expected to forgive my brother? Seven? 
And Jesus responds saying, no, Peter, you are to forgive him 70 times 7. This little 7 verses 70 times 7 goes back to Genesis 4 to to Lamech who was a descendant of Cain. And he said that uh, as Cain got justice, uh, uh, that that he was going to get it 70 times 7 more. And so this Jesus, when he uses the term 70 times 7, he is in essence saying, you don't keep track. Right? I mean, it's not that 490 times you forgive him, but not 491. It's just no, don't keep track. And then I'm reading now, beginning in verse 23, Jesus tells a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, this would be $7 million, uh, and $7 million 2,000 years ago, so whatever inflation adjustments you would like to make, you're free to make, probably should add at least a couple zeros, let's say $7 billion is what this guy owes. It's an unthinkable, unpayable amount of money. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found, out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. This would be about $5,000. So uh, it's not a, an insignificant amount of money, but it's not a huge amount of money. It's definitely payable. He owed 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Why should you forgive Those that have wronged you, because you have been forgiven more. The response, the attitude that we are expected to have is to be so overwhelmed at God's grace to us that we are choosing to be gracious. And to the extent that we are not being gracious, right, then then there's this suggestion that grace is not going to be extended to us. We need to forgive others. Okay, Mike, let me assume that I will head down that path. How exactly am I supposed to do that? Not how am I supposed to say the words I forgive, because mechanically at least that's easy to do, but when my heart wants no forgiveness to be extended, How am I supposed to actually let go of that? Well, I think there are several things that we can learn from Scripture and life. And I 
would say from my own experience, there are some things that I know I have to stop doing when I need to forgive someone. One of them is I need to stop my tendency to dehumanize them by reducing them down to the offense. Somebody lies to me and and I suffer because of that. My tendency is to say, oh, that's so-and-so, the liar, right? It's not that they are a father or a mother or a brother or a friend or have a job and do all kinds of good things. No, I've reduced them down and I say, you mean the liar. I have whittled them down to that sin. Now, remarkably, I am far more familiar with my own sin, but I virtually never reduce myself down to my own sin. It's just the other person that you reduce down and dehumanize in that way. I think we need to start to look at them in a more holistic way. Secondly, I think we have to uh, make certain that not just our actions are gracious, but that increasingly our thoughts are gracious. That we, that we block, that we stop the tendency to sort of uh, relish the, the revenge that we would like to see bestowed on them and begin to wish them well. And I think that this can only happen with God's help. Corey ten Boom, uh, a Holocaust survivor, the concentration camp Ravensbrück, which uh, claimed the life of, of the rest of her family, after the war was over, uh, began to travel and speak throughout Europe on the topic of forgiveness. And one day, uh, 1947, in Munich, after giving a lecture on forgiveness, the man who had been a prison guard, who had humiliated her, who had been instrumental in the death of her sister, this man, not recognizing her, comes up and says, I'm so glad that as a German who who was a Nazi, that you, a Jew, are forgiving. Would you forgive me? Ten Boom says that she has a, a physical, visceral response, that this man to her was evil, and she wants to see him suffer like she and her sister suffered. She has no desire to see this man forgiven. So she prayed, Jesus, I cannot forgive this man. Give me your forgiveness for him. Remarkable, she writes. The current started in my shoulder It raced down my arm, it sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. The Ten Boom will go on to write that uh, the feelings of hatred for this man returned. And she sought uh, help and counseling uh, to try and figure out how she was going to deal with this. And the, the sort of uh, spiritual director that she saw 
uh, explained that she had to let go of the rope and, and suggested that, you know, a bell tower generally has a rope. We don't have a rope in our bell tower, but at the church I was at before, there was a literal rope, and you could ring this bell. It took a lot to get it going. After you let go of the rope, the bell continued to ring for a time, but eventually it stopped. And he said, you've let go of the rope, the bell will keep ringing, but it will get quieter and quieter unless you grab onto that rope again. It will be an ongoing process. Well, Mike, here's what I guess I most want to know. Am I supposed to forgive somebody if they won't even agree that what they've done to me was wrong? They don't even acknowledge it. They don't, even, they don't even see the pain that they have caused me. They are completely unrepentant. Do you mean to tell me that I am supposed to forgive someone like that? Yes. Absolutely. Now, it may not be that you literally need to go to them and to say, I forgive you. That may just be gasoline on the fire because they're not going to recognize any need to be forgiven. But you do need to forgive them for your own sake, spiritually and emotionally. Don't tie your well-being to their decision to repent. And I would go so far as to suggest that the question probably shouldn't be, how can I forgive them if they haven't repented? And maybe should be, how can I expect them to repent if I haven't forgiven them? On the cross, the people that were mocking and spitting on and abusing Christ had not repented when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, you may say, well, <laughs> so Mike, if we follow this, this path, then we should just go let all the serial murderers and rapists out of prison, and, and I, should, uh, I should act like absolutely nothing has happened against uh, my husband who has, who has beat me, and I should loan another uh, $30,000 to my brother-in-law who hasn't paid the first $30,000 back. I'm just supposed to, you know, why don't I just wear a sign that says doormat? Uh, is it, how is what you're suggesting different than that? Well, I, I'm not suggesting uh, that, that forgiving means that, that everything goes back to normal, that there are no consequences for some of the actions that people have taken. There, there are, in some cases, consequences that we can't stop as much as we would like to. So I'm not suggesting that forgiving your brother-in-law means that you loan him another $30,000. But you have to forgive him, right? You have to forgive him. You have to let go. And I say this in part, and, and I recognize that there are more questions that need to be unpacked here. It's not just a two-sermon topic. But I say this in part because I don't have any desire to end this radical call by God to forgive by rolling out a, a list of exceptions and qualifications. That's not the spirit of the challenge we have been given. 
We need to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some of you need to join the 70 times 7 club. Some of you have been horribly wronged by your spouse, by your kids, your parents, by a former employer, by a neighbor, by a sister. Some of you have been horribly wronged by someone. You need to forgive them. It is, it is the next step in your spiritual growth. And you might not have any idea how that's going to be possible. And so I would say to you, just as Corey Ten Boom said, God, I don't have the ability in and of myself to forgive. I need your strength in order to do it. I want to say, maybe that's the next prayer. But you need to forgive to let go of the rope and to move on for your own emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being. I invite you now to stand and join with me as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.